Hello and welcome to Meet My Potential podcast, where we talk to leaders from around the world to inspire and to ignite your potential. This is your host Deepa Natarajan from France, and today we're going to talk about the Curiosity Code with Diane Hamilton. Well, before you get started, if you're looking to make changes in your life this year and you want to make those changes sustainable and you're wondering how can you make that happen what is that secret formula and recipe well i might just have the right thing for you i've created a 45 minute masterclass so head over to meetmypotential.com slash webinar and you can get access to this 45 minute masterclass where i talk about how you can make change happen in a sustainable way so today we have with us diane hamilton Diane is a sought-after expert in emotional intelligence and behavioral science with nearly four decades of real-world experience. Dr. Diane Hamilton is the creator of the Curiosity Code Index, and she's the author of four books that have been sold worldwide, and she has taught many leaders in the field of leadership, sales, marketing, management, and she engages people in curious conversations and she is known for increasing engagement and improving productivity and reducing conflict. So let's welcome Diane Hamilton. Hello and welcome to the show, Diane. How are you doing? I am doing well. Thanks so much for having me here. I'm looking forward to this. I know uh, this is going to be a really curious conversation. You know, you talk about, you say that everybody is born curious And I do see that we're all born curious. Kids are so curious. They keep asking the question, why? And their jaws drop when they see a tiger or an elephant. And they're like, you know, in so much awe of the world. But then what happens when we grow up? You know, that's such a great question. That was my question because I was so (laughs) frustrated by it. With my radio show, I interview so many amazing people like, uh, you know, Simon Brown and uh, Novartis and so many wonderful people who are super curious and then I also teach and I teach a lot of students who maybe weren't as curious. And so as I started to look at the differences, I started to want to know what happens to our curiosity. And it's fascinating to look because we see around age five, it peaks, but then it starts to dramatically decline as we become adults. So mm-hmm. that's why when I started to write my book, on uh, Cracking the Curiosity Code, I, I, I was thinking about writing about curiosity, which I did do. But then I thought, well, it's not enough to write about curiosity and the importance of it. I wanted to find out what inhibits curiosity, because if, if we're starting to lose it, I wanted to know why we're losing it, what's what's stopping us. And that's really what my research w- was all about. And uh, it was kind of fun because I found out there are four things that inhibit curiosity. I know I was exactly going to talk about the four things and ask you, like, what are those four things? Like, I know you speak about like fear, assumptions, technology, and environment. Uh Tell us a little bit, what does each one of them mean and how do they get in the way of us being curious? Well, you know, it's really interesting because I, I spent years researching this because when I first started to hire psychometric statisticians and all these experts to help me with this, Every assessment we started to look at, they all were measuring if you had high or low levels of curiosity. And I thought, well, what if I'm low? Then what do I do? And that didn't really help me. And so as I started to 
do the research of the thousands of people uh, over the years, we really narrowed down these questions so that we could find out these four factors. As you mentioned, they create the acronym of FATE, F-A-T-E, of Fear, Assumptions, Technology, and Environment. And I wasn't really surprised by fear because, you know, we all don't want to look stupid. We don't want to seem unprepared. We're all in meetings and we're thinking, should I ask this question? Am I the only idiot here who doesn't know the answer to it? (laughs) And, you know, I don't want to be the one to ask it. And we all have that sense, right? And that'll help that, you know, a lot of is hurt by our bosses and people who have said things to us, like, don't come to me with problems unless you have solutions. Well, that's all well and good to get rid of whiners uh, if that's what you're trying to get rid of. But it's also getting rid of the people who have uh, no ability to give you the solutions, but can tell you that you have a problem. And so uh, I think fear is a huge factor in the workplace. And uh, I know in my research, it was a little bit higher for women, but it was pretty close on the male female perspective. Um, assumptions. Yeah, before we go there, like I just want to like pause here because you met, fear is such a big, big thing. Like, what are some of the typical fears, like the biggest fears that people have in becoming curious? Well, I think a lot of it is really the types of things like you would think of the fear of looking stupid, unprepared. Uh, the, sometimes it's a fear of getting more work. Sometimes it's a fear and not getting paid. <laughs> um, sometimes it's, it's just that, uh, a lot of people are embarrassed around their peers that they should know more. They think that everybody thinks that they should know more than they know. Nobody wants to be the, this leader, even, uh, you know, feel the leaders feel this way that, uh, I should know this. And if I don't, I'd look somehow bad that I haven't mastered this. But a lot of us, have this inability to um, admit it that we don't know everything and we no one knows everything. And so fear can really hold people back. You're absolutely spot on. I just want to like pause there because this is so, so critical. And uh, there are these three critical words that we don't use. I don't know. Right, right. You know, when we were in sales, they taught us when people ask you a question you don't know, never fake it. You always say, you know, that's a great question. I don't know, but I'll get the answer and I'll get right back to you because <laughs> I know who has it or whatever. You know what I mean? That's yeah. so much better than faking some weird answer that it's obvious you you don't know what you're talking about. That'll kill your credibility faster than anything. And that is the problem. And when I study curiosity, it's about getting out of status quo thinking, status quo behaviors. And that's very much what holds people back. It's that fear of admitting the truth that they don't know. And we all don't know at some point. How much of this is individual fear of uh, projecting that I don't know? And how much of it is it the external pressure from, you know, employees, from people that they expect you to know? Well, I think it's individual. It's, you know, it's really hard to say that there's an all over like this group always feels this way or that way. But, I, you know, I work for this guy who, you know, and I was older, so I was not so easily intimidated and I was older than he was. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I came to him and he gave me some job to do. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. How do you do that? I've never had to do it. And he looked at me with the most disgusted look on his face and he goes, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. And <laughs> And if I had been young, I'd probably have crumbled and died. And you know what you do when you're young. But since I was old and hardened and mean, you know, I, I looked at him and I'm like, you know, I, there's no reason I should have ever known this. You know what I mean? So, you know, he's basically telling me, I, you're an idiot. I don't want you to ask questions. You, don't be curious. You know, did live, 
pretend you know mm. what you don't know. And we have mm. bosses of her that way. Mm. I think it ties in, though, to the next um, category of assumptions because, well, fear will overlap with a lot of things. But, okay, so now I've had that guy as my experience. My assumption is, well, if I say anything, uh, they're just going to shut me down, so I'm not going to talk anymore. Or, you know, that voice in my head is going to either tell me I'm, I'm not interested, it's not necessary, or this guy's going to yell at me, or I'm going to have this negative outcome. And we all give ourselves this self-talk of what we think we can do and what we can't do. Uh, mm -hmm. And that voice will hold you back more than anything. I mean, how many classes did you take when you were a kid? And you go, oh, I didn't like that. That teacher was boring. It was a stupid this or that. Or, or, or I'm not good enough to do that. I don't have the experience. And we know a lot of women won't won't uh, apply for jobs unless they have 100% of everything and they say they know how to do everything, where mm. a man will just jump in sometimes and and take that uh, responsibility, whether they think they're qualified or not. <laughs> how do you explain that? You know, a lot of it is just that that's what they've had more time in the workplace uh, being put in things, whether they knew it or not, where women haven't. You know what I mean? It, it's really interesting mm. to look at the studies of men versus women. Men actually... Um, will apply for more jobs and things without full experience. But in my research, they, they actually let some of their assumptions hold them back more than women. So it was kind of a surprising details that I got on that because in like Oxford studies and other studies out there, they looked at men and women and the, how they ask questions and men are two and a half mm -hmm. times more likely to ask a question after watching a webinar or a presentation, a seminar. I mean, uh, and women, they, they want to have like, six to 15 questions asked before they'll even raise their hand. Men just will put their hand right up. And if like, if you had an error on your slide, they go, Hey, uh, you got a problem up there where women, well, <laughs> they're going to be more like, uh, Oh, maybe it's me. I see something, maybe it is okay. And it's just me thinking it's wrong. So we have these assumptions and that'll hold us back. And so I think it's really fascinating to look at the research of how they're different, but it's not a huge difference. We're, we're all held back by fear assumptions, technology and environment. And, uh, you know, technology was more surprising to me. I, I guess I, I wasn't expecting that to come up as one of the factors. Um, mm -hmm. I had to do a lot of uh, research to learn factor analysis to to do the, the you know, the statistical mm -hmm. analysis and all of this. And technology wasn't one I would have called, but actually, if you think about it, we all under and overutilize technology to some extent in our lives. I mean, for some of us, if you threw us a calculator, never taught us the math, we might have been the greatest mathematician in the world, but we'll never know it because we never found the foundation behind things. And then others uh, find technology so overwhelming that they don't want to learn version 4.0 because we just learned 3.0. And and I never understood what they were talking about in the first place the first time they taught me. And, you know, there's all this stuff that'll hold people back from wanting to, to learn it. So with technology, a lot of it is it does it for us or we're not trained or we're overwhelmed. And that'll that'll keep us back. And um, again, some of this is our experiences, which tie into our environment, which we, we know that like that guy was a big factor in my environment. If I, he might have shut me down, but we, it's not just your bosses. It's your teachers, your family, your friends, your workers, your peers, social media, you name it. It's, it's our whole exposure to things. And there's a lot of great 
TED Talks about how much we're held back in our creativity, not just curiosity, um, just by uh, like Sir Ken Robinson has a TED Talk about how we're educating ourselves out of our creative competencies, but because we, we direct some of our education in certain ways. So some of this glue of creativity, curiosity, soft skill type things get left out because we're valuing math and science and other higher education based principles. So I think it's really important to look at how these four factors of fate uh, impact us, because if you don't recognize what stops you, you can't move forward. Right, right. And I know that sometimes when I'm stuck with someone who comes across to me as arrogant, it's very hard for me to become curious and get into his shoes. And the only thing that I do is I just shut down inside. And when I asked people, what did they do? A lot of people said they avoid such people. They run away from them. They just try to keep a distance. But that is when I think we are challenged to raise our bar and become curious because otherwise then we start creating the divide in our societies. Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting because that ties into my work. Um, my next book's on perception. And I, and a lot of that comes into that because when I started studying perception, it was kind of a combination of IQ, EQ for emotional quotient, CQ for cultural quotient, and CQ for curiosity quotient that has us come to our conclusions um, that how we want to interact with other people, like you're saying, if I get that guy saying those things to me, like in my mm -hmm. example, I'm less likely to want to interact with him to want to have exactly. a conversation. And he had, if I hadn't been uh, outspoken and, you know, informed him that that was a rude thing <laughs> to say, he probably yeah. would have kept talking like that because that's how his bosses talk to him. Exactly. And he's unaware of totally it. Totally unaware. Yeah. Yeah. And I brought it up to him and I said, I said, you know, do you have a problem with my work or, you know, and he goes, no, why? He was stunned. I would ever say that. And I go, because of the things you say, I think can come across as, kind of, you know, kind of rude. And he said, what, you know, and I gave him that example and you could tell he had no idea that was a bad thing to say, not mm. even close. And, you know, because he was young and because we were kind of friends, I kind of, I felt comfortable talking to him, but a lot of people don't feel comfortable bringing up things. And some people might get upset and mad, you know, when you bring up something like that. And you're bringing two important points here. Like curiosity requires of us to have compassion because you knew this man, that relationship had been built on a certain foundation and that compassion was there. And you spoke up and curiosity also requires us to be courageous. It does. Well, it's interesting that fear inhibits you, but fear is also the, the solution, you know, overcoming fear and getting brave to come overcome it. And I think a lot of us build up what the worst case scenario could be if we do something in our head. And it's always so much worse. 85% of our fears <laughs> never come true, right? You come up with this stuff in your head. And I, I think time and experience helps a lot of us. And I remember when I was really young, I would never have said something to anyone. You just take it and, you know, and, and that's, that's the end of that. But I think that we get it, we've got to get out of status quo thinking. And I t give so many talks about, you know, the, not becoming the blockbusters and the Kodaks, of course, because we want to develop our workplaces and curiosity 
is really the spark to everything that leaders are trying to accomplish. If you think about it like baking a cake, this is how I kind of visualize curiosity. Okay, let's say you're going to bake a cake and you have oil and eggs and flour, whatever it is you mix together. And those are your ingredients, right? You put it in a pan and then you put that in the oven and then you hope for cake, right? Well, if you didn't turn on the oven, you're not getting anything but goo. You're not getting your cake. And so a curiosity in that realm, let's put it back in the workplace. If our end product instead of cake is we want productivity and money, right? We want successful companies. We have to ha- have these ingredients we mix together, which are, you know, innovation, engagement, and all the things like motivation, drive, and, and creativity, and everything else that we, we talk about are all these ingredients. And everybody's mixing all this stuff together but, and maybe putting it in the oven, but nobody's turning on the oven. And that spark is curiosity. And so it's so fascinating to see some of the companies like Novartis and Verizon and all these other companies I work for where they really get it and they put it in their core culture and it comes down from the top that these this is what we need to do to improve, uh, to be more innovative, engaged in all those things to end up having our cake at the end. Mm. So how do you actually uh, implement curiosity from a personal level to an organizational level in a systemic way? Well, the way I work with companies is, you know, some companies uh, like uh, Novartis and Verizon have a core culture that they share it from the top down. And they, and like at Novartis, they have 100 hours of, requ- you know, requested reading and learning that they pay for. They have uh, Curiosity Month where people come in and they speak. They have um, different like small TED Talks and different things that they do where they have employees present content, but no way, no better way to learn something than to present it. They have things like that. And, but I also go in to like Verizon, they had me create these videos, little vignettes that they put in their onboarding and in their different um, video uh, training sessions that they go throughout the company that I talk about the value of curiosity. And then they'd have showcase an individual from the company who had done a lot of things to be more curious and was successful. And so they come up with little bite-sized uh, video training sessions with that. And that's been really successful. But in general, the biggest thing they can do is to assess what everybody's curiosity is and what's stopping them. And that's what I do with my curiosity code index. It's kind of like taking a Myers-Briggs, a, a disc or a you know emotional mm-hmm. intelligence test, mm-hmm. one of those kind of things. And that gives them you know, a report that tells them this is what holds you back in terms of fear. This is what holds you back in terms of, you know, assumptions, technology environment. Because once you know what holds you back, then you can create kind of you do kind of a personal SWOT analysis to look at your weaknesses and your threats and those types of things and create uh, measurable smart goals to overcome those and incorporate your um, different tasks. Like some of the things that we're mentioning, these companies do are examples of ways to overcome all of those. Fantastic. That sounds like a fantastic formula. When does curiosity get dangerous? Are you saying, can you have too much or can you have too little? <laughs> exactly. Like when, you have, when, does curio- when does too much of curiosity become a negative? Well, you know, I think the problem is there's some people who just want to hear themselves talk for just the sake of being, you know, asking questions and without an end goal in mind. And I've, you know, you have the people who write you war and peace length email messages and they're the kinds of people that might uh, monopolize a a meeting. So if there's people who have great ideas, but 
they're taking over where other people can't give good ideas. Sometimes you have to have one-on-one separate with them to, to point out this is helpful, more helpful than this. And let's try to make it concise and, and try to show them, you know, how this can be helpful and what parts are uh, maybe superfluous. Right. I, I think my question is more like, like sometimes I, I get into these meetings and everybody is like very curious and curiosity leads to exploration and opening new territories. Mm-hmm. But at some point of time, and especially today, we need to act with speed. We need to act with agility and move forward very quickly. And curiosity actually opens too many doors. So when do you say stop and now we're going to start closing doors and not getting not get curious? Well, it's always been this way in a way. I mean, we all know the people who plan the plan to plan the plan and then do nothing but plan, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So how do you recognize that? It's the same way where you recognize eventually you can't be chasing your tail. In these meetings, you go, okay, we're going to spend X, Y, Z amount of time today on this. And you get consensus of when you've reached a point where we're just starting to chase our tail. And I I think, you know, I've talked to project managers who are really interested in making sure that they're on time with their, um, you know, production and everything that they're trying to achieve. And so that they're very cognizant of that. But if if you don't have, you know, a specific time set forth, you cannot come up with uh, alternative plans. And, And right now we've seen this is a time we've really needed to come up with a lot of alternative plans. So you need to have these curiosity sessions for having foresight and being proactive. Great. Thank you so much for your valuable inputs. And before we actually close this episode, I'd like to ask you one more question on how do you think we as a society are practicing curiosity? I see that today in France. Uh, this is December. Regulations are changing with respect. Sorry, restrictions are changing with respect to COVID, and we're anticipating new restrictions coming up again in the next one week's time. And so uh, we immediately come to judgments. We create as we make assumptions very very quickly. This is not like, oh shops are going to close down. Oh my god, I need to go buy all these things. So we're actually getting triggered on our fears and making a lot of assumptions. And from this fear and assumptions, we can easily start to blame our governments. We can easily start to blame uh, society and, and the enterprises and every, everybody around us, our whole ecosystem, we can start to blame them. How do we as a society need to shift in order to get curious? Well, I, I think a lot of this is recognizing that we are telling ourselves these things. And that's really what I was trying to do with my assessing. You know, we ought, mm-hmm. we do have this voice in our head. And that's part of the, the goals that we have when we go through these training sessions with organizations is learning to recognize what things are you saying and what are they doing to your behavior and how productive are they and how much are they really limiting you? And so this, a lot of this is self-awareness training. I had written my dissertation on emotional intelligence, so I was very much interested in the emotional intelligence aspects of all this. And by being curious and recognizing that voice of what we're telling ourselves and seeing if it's rational or not is, is critical to, to overcome some of those issues. Because otherwise, uh, I, I think developing curiosity is what the answer is to overcoming that. <laughs> Beautiful. If there's one thing you must take away um, for listeners who are listening here is what are you telling yourself? What stories are you telling yourself? The minute you get aware of this, that is the first step to evoking curiosity within yourself. Thank you so much, Diane, for being here. And before we end this episode, what would you be 
your one last message to share with the audience? I think it's really important to recognize, you know, this is a time where everybody's doing a lot of um, self-reflection and uh, a lot of the issues you talked about were, you know, were tied into emotional intelligence. And I think to build uh, our emotional intelligence and curiosity, I, I think a lot of it is asking questions because that'll develop your empathy. And empathy is the ability to see things from someone else's perspective. And I know we're having a lot of struggling with that <laughs> right now in the world. And that was a big focus of when I uh, wrote about uh, perception, because I think we really need to develop our ability to put ourselves in someone else's shoes and realize we don't have to agree with them, but we can see things from their perspective to see why they feel the way they do. Fabulous. Thank you. And for those of you who haven't writ, uh, read her book, go check out Cracking the Curiosity Code. If not, uh, head over to iTunes or any podcast channel and uh, listen to Diane at Take the Lead Radio Show. Thank you so much, Diane, for being here with us. Well, thank you so much. This has been fun. <laughs> Absolutely. If you like this episode, I'd appreciate if you can give us some feedback and you can do that directly by sending me an email to deepa at meetmypotential.com. I'd love to hear from you. And I look forward to talking to you soon in one week's time. And until then, stay cool.